So have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever been, I mean, really, really thirsty? I can recall times in the soccer practices in high school and college where daily doubles would happen and hot days and trying to get through those practices, but knowing that when, when the coach would blow the whistle for a, a, a break to get some water, that water tasted so good. <laughs> and I don't know if you realize that at times too, that when you're really thirsty, water is just so good. Now, I don't know where you're at as far as temperature of water, but I like the ice cold water. Just be able to uh, have that and, and have it just kind of go on down the, the body. is like, oh, it feels so good and cools you off. Thirsty. Being thirsty. We also get invitations to all kinds of things. Weddings, baby showers, baby dedications maybe, birthday parties, all these things. An invitation to a party or wedding often contains an RSVP indicating the sender desires a response, which reminds me, Maddie had uh, organized a little gathering for her birthday. She wanted to invite some friends over and everything else. I think she put it out on digital for response, uh, Evite or whatever it is, and it was over at our house, but I don't think Becky and I ever RSVP'd, <laughs> but we did show up. We were there. Anyway, RSVPing, we got to do those things as well, too. You know, sometimes you have to be invited to be part of a group. You can't just barge on in. Augusta National has only 300 members and is one of the toughest clubs to get in. The most exclusive club in the world is the members of the Order of Merit. The order was founded by King Edward VII in 1902, and members are chosen by the monarch, an honor awarded to individuals of great achievement in the fields of art, learning, literature, and science. It's restricted to 24 members, and they meet for lunch every two years at Buckingham Palace. Past members have included Florence Nightingale, is the first, first uh, woman member, by the way, writer T.S. Eliot, Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, Mother Teresa, and Nelson Mandela. And while we may never be a member of Augusta National or the Order of Merit, Jesus does invite us to a club that has more benefits than both of those clubs combined. Jesus invites us to come. And in today's message, we learn about God's invitation to us. And far from being remote and inaccessible, God longs for a relationship with us. As you consider this message today, think about, think about how you might respond to His invitation to come. We are looking in Isaiah chapter 55. We're jumping ahead. If you've been reading through Isaiah and trying to follow along. I'm jumping ahead uh, probably from where you've been reading, from chapter 40 to chapter 55. And in this chapter, we're going to find out, again, this invitation that Jesus gives us. So follow along, if you want, in Isaiah 55, as I read the first five verses. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine, and milk without honey, without cost. Oh, excuse me, milk without money, <laughs> without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? 
Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. So chapter 55 of Isaiah has been called the, uh, the pinnacle of Isaiah's prophecy. We get to this point, and then, then the invitation is, Come, come all who are thirsty. Beginning with those words, we recognize that this call is a call that's universal. This call is universal. It's, it's, a, it's a gracious invitation because of it being universal. The, the Jewish people who first heard or read these words, it wouldn't have been easy to invite all to join in on God's blessings. They were the chosen. They had missed the point of God's purpose for choosing one family, theirs, who He would work through. They felt that the blessings of God belonged exclusively, exclusively to them. This universal invitation to come and, and quench our thirst is, is a forerunner to the statement Jesus made to the woman at the well, where He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this call is universal. This call also, too, is, is the call to salvation. It's free. The call to salvation is free. Those who have no money may also come, as verse 1 tells us. There was a time when no one would think of spending more money than necessary on such a cheap item as water. But in many parts of the world, water has always been in short supply, and even the use of a well came with a big price tag. And through the centuries, people have tried to put a price on salvation. How could anything as valuable as eternal life be free? You've got to pay something for it. You've got to do something. But Paul advised us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the call to salvation, it's free. This call is universal. This call also, too, is a salvation, to salvation also leads to ultimate satisfaction. So Isaiah questioned the practice of spending money on, on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy, as verse 2 says. Many people spend their resources on things that ultimately leave them feeling empty. You want to fill that void with something. Get on Amazon, and you could probably find anything to fill that void, but it won't compare to what God can do for you. Instead of mocking us for the foolish spending of our resources, God gives His gracious invitation. Come. God also promises an everlasting covenant as an extension of this faithful love promised to David, as is expressed in verse 3. And Paul cited this passage as evidence that the resurrection of Christ was to fulfill the holy and sure blessings promised to David, as we read in Acts 13. The royal di dynasty that began with David finds his culmination in Jesus. 
And far from keeping the good news of free salvation to ourselves, we are to, as in verse 5 of Isaiah 55 says, summon nations you know not and nations that do not know you. This is a great missions text right there. Going out and visiting those and, 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 and touching people's lives you don't even know. And they don't even know you, but you know the gospel and you know that there are people out there that need to hear the good news. If you need more motivation to share the gospel around the world, remember, God wants us to take it to those whom we don't know and those who don't know us. What about that neighbor down the road that you've been intending to visit? That neighbor that just moved into the neighborhood? Maybe you might want to go down and visit them with some flowers. Visit them with something else that will connect you and be able to say, hey, I'm in the community here and welcome to the neighborhood. Allowing for an opportunity then to show God's love to that person. When Isaiah said God has endowed you with splendor, verse 5, he must have been implying there's something so beautiful about people decked out with the gospel that we become attracted to those who need the Lord. They'll see you. They'll realize that. And those who desire something better than this world can offer. They'll see how beautiful you are in this way, showing Christ's love to them. God's invitation is gracious because it is universal, it's free, and leads to ultimate satisfaction. While God's invitation is gracious, we must respond to His offer of forgiveness, as we see here in verses 6 and 7. God's forgiveness is abundant. Follow with me in verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. God does his part by inviting those who are thirsty to come to, to the waters, but it's our responsibility to seek the Lord while he may be found. Since God is on the present, is there ever a time when he is not near? One commentator explains, while he invites us again and again, there are golden moments of readiness when he is especially near and easily found. One of those golden moments happened yesterday with our soccer team at North Clackamas Christian School. Some of you may have heard about it possibly, but they're on their way to a third place soccer game. Um, there's just a small little eight-man team. Normally on the field, you have 11. They're not that big. They can only have, so they, I think they only have 11 total on their team. So they play in an eight-man league in the 1A uh, school district in the Portland area pretty much. And they're heading on their way to the third place game um, Saturday morning. And on the way there, they got into an accident. Uh, the bus, one of the small minibuses, the driver was, uh, uh, had a medical condition pulling over and he passed out. It went to the Meridian. And it hit the middle, spun the bus around, and one child, one, one uh, athlete was uh, thrown through the, the doors of the bus. He was fine, uh, and uh, another one had a concussion. Um, but in that moment, there were a couple of, of athletes that, that came to the forefront, took, took control, got everyone's gear out, was, it, was, you know, we need to gather and we need to pray. And they started praying because the driver was also, is also the coach, and he had that medical condition going on, um, and it was a heart issue that was happening. And so they got him in the paramedics and headed him over to the hospital, St. Vincent's. 
and uh, they found that he needed to have a pacemaker put in to keep his heart going the way it should be. He's still there today, and they were going to perform the procedure today, but uh, he is uh, still dealing with some issues there uh, in, in health, and, and so uh, I'd ask you to keep him in your prayers, Rick Mudrow, and we love him very much. We were there last night, and uh, we're able to pray with him, but uh, he is the same guy, <laughs> same guy that I had to do the Heimlich on during one of the OSAA track meets, uh, state track meets down in Eugene. And he was chomping on some wheat thins, and he just was a little excited about things, I guess, and one just lodged right there, and he was wondering, he couldn't breathe, and he leaned up on top of me, and I was in front of him, and I, what? And I gave him the Heimlich and popped out the wheat thin, and he was breathing again. I thought, good, that's it. I don't have to do anymore. And then when I heard that uh, he got in the accident there with the bus, I thought, oh, man, I can't Heimlich him with that one. <laughs> Sometimes we, we can't. But in those moments, that group will remember that situation and how God intervened. There could have been a lot worse situation going on. There could have been a head-on collision in the other, other traffic going the other way. There could have been a ser more serious in incident where the bus flipped over. It didn't. It just spun. There could have been a more serious incident where he did not pull over first. There could have been a lot of things. God intervened in that whole situation, protected the, the, the athletes as well. And, uh, and those athletes are, are going to probably remember that time where God intervened as well too. <clears throat> and this could be a beginning a golden moment, if you will, where they're going to remember this. A golden moment of readiness that God can speak into their lives and say, you know that time that uh, that accident happened at that bus? That's the moment where I met you and I want, I want to do a work in you now. I want you to come and follow me. And there are moments in our lives as well, too. I'm sure you probably have them or maybe you're going to down the road as well, too. You experience those golden moments that God brings your way and says, uh, come to me. I need you to pay attention. I need you to be closer. I need you to realize that I'm a God that loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And so those moments come to us. And when they happen, we need to be ready and realize that there's a God who calls our name and loves us so much. And repentance is an important step to finding this forgiveness that Isaiah speaks of. The word repent, again, you've heard this before, it means to change one's mind, implies that we turn away from our independence from God, that is sin. And the wicked person, it says in verse 5, must forsake his way, and the evil person must abandon his sinful thoughts. Those things were done before. Now that I've received Christ, now I live for God, and I'm moving forward in that way. And of course, the only way to abandon sin is by uniting with God's righteousness. The only way to remedy the sins that come by separation from God is to be united with God. This is why sin shows itself not only in our activities, but also in our thoughts. Failing to, to love God or our neighbors can't can't be merely about unloving actions. It's also about not loving from our hearts, about not being soulmates with God. If you don't have that love out of a pure heart, it's not going to come out very well. This is why only turning to the Lord can bring unearned mercy and pardon 
replacing our guilt with His forgiveness. God is not stingy with His blessings. He will freely and abundantly, as the King James Version says here in verse 7, abundantly pardon. Because God's thoughts are higher than ours, His way of salvation is better than any we could imagine. As we see here in verses 8 and 9, God's ways are exalted. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Mike, I don't know if that was a verse that you guys looked at in, in the Sunday school class, but it might have probably applied pretty well with uh, finding God's will. <laughs> why, why does God answer prayers in certain ways and whatever? His thoughts are not our thoughts. God thinks greater, deeper thoughts than we can imagine. By His very nature, His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways greatly surpass, surpass ours. But the point isn't that His intellect exceeds ours. The quality of His thoughts, His plans, concepts, and remedies for what troubles humanity surpasses our best laid plans. We might think we have a great idea of what should happen. God has an even better idea. When we try to figure out how to get to heaven, it always has to do with our own efforts, when we think we could figure it out. But God knows we can never be good enough to earn our way into heaven. So He communicates a concept that boggles the mind. It's so simple. He forgives. <laughs> he simply determines that He will as in Micah 7, verse 19 says, hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That He will, in Jeremiah 31, verse 34, forgive our wickedness and will remember our sins no more. If you're on the other side of that, you've received Christ as your Savior, this is where you're at. He's forgiven your wickedness. He doesn't remember your sins. It's been forgotten in the past. What's going on right now and what's heading on down the road there for you in the future? That's what God is interested in. What an incredible God to serve. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So God's higher ways also include the effectiveness of His Word, as we see here in verses 10 and 11. God's Word is effective. Verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the, for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish, accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So to illustrate the effectiveness of God's Word, Isaiah compared it to the natural cycle of rain, snow, and growing plants, and evaporation of water back to the heavens. Without the rain of the snow, mentioned in verse 10, and come down from heaven, how would the earth be watered? Where would vegetation get the water so desperately needed to cause the plants to bud and flourish? Just as effectively as water does its nourishing work, so God's Word accomplishes its purpose. And that's why it's so important to be in a regular reading of God's Word, a regular study of God's Word as well. It will guide us. It will nourish us. 
it accomplishes its purpose. And what is the purpose of God's Word? Paul assured Timothy back in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, rather than returning to God empty, God's Word will teach, will rebuke, will correct, will, re- will train in righteousness to achieve the purpose, mentioned in verse 11, of equipping us to do God's work in the world. Every teacher, every preacher, and every Sunday school teacher and Christian worker may be encouraged by the fact that our use of God's Word is not in vain. So Mike, Stephanie, it's not in vain when you lead your class. Anyone else who's led a Bible study somewhere, it's not in vain. God's Word is getting out. It will not return void when they hear God's Word. Bible quizzing was an incredible ministry. Megan was part of that and uh, having some fun. I still got a couple of pictures in my office about you, you four posing and having a lot of fun there. But Bible quizzing was for the purpose of getting God's Word into the lives of the young people. And the thing is, is that with God's Word not returning void, there's so much payback in that. Having them memorize Scripture, having them go into Bible quiz tournaments and trying to do their best and answering the questions, but they had to study God's Word. When that happened, God's Word got in their hearts and God's Word's there. and It will come back. It will return. It will guide them. Anyone who puts time in God's Word and reading it and studying it, it's going to come back to you and it's going to help you and, and it's going to return then to God in a way how you act and conduct your life and walk in His ways. God's Word effectively offers positive promises as well. Verses 12 through 13. God's promises are positive. Verse verse 12, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. Can you hear that song going on? And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. So this chapter finishes with a positive promise that God's people will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Don't you want peace and joy in your life? To be led, go out in that, led forth in peace. And we may ask, go out from where and to what? (laughs) Well, people who first heard it might remember how Israel went out from Egypt and in spite of many wanderings, went into Canaan. But their escape from Egypt included some level of fear with Pharaoh in hot pursuit. Exiles in Babylon, as we've heard throughout Isaiah, might rejoice in the promise they would eventually leave and return to their homeland. We may also interpret the promise as being led out of sin and into salvation. Ultimately, we look forward to leaving this world and joyfully entering heaven, a place of perpetual peace a place where there's no more crying, no more tears, a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering. Man, that sounds so good these days. But until then, there's a work to be done. And God intends for you to do it. 
God wants to use you. God wants to use you in bringing God's promises to people and let them see that there's a God who loves them and wants a relationship with them. You're the messenger. You're the ambassador. But heaven looks pretty good. <laughs> All of nature joins in this celebration that is described here. Mountains and hills sing a joyful chorus, while trees of the field applaud our deliverance. Thorn bushes and briars will no longer dot the landscape. Instead, the fragrant pine and, and the myrtle will grow. And the significance of the everlasting sign is that the lush pine and myrtle trees represent life, while the thorns and briars symbolize sin and death. Won't be any death anymore. New life, nourished by the living water, replaces a parched life of sin. Now all blessings are for the Lord's renown, for His glory, for His popularity, for His fame. God's promises are positive. And through Jeremiah, He told us, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In these days of troubled times, when you're going through difficult situations, I trust you can remember, God calls you to come. All who are thirsty. And the key thing there to remember, in order for the water to taste good, in order for the water to, to just feel so wonderful going down, you got to be thirsty. If you're not thirsty, you might not want to drink the water. You might go for something else. But boy, when you're thirsty, nothing can satisfy other than that nice, cold glass of water. And Jesus says, come. Come to me. All who are heavy, laden, burdened, I will give you rest. You need rest these days? You need peace these days? You need to be thirsty for it. God has invited those here in Isaiah to come. And He does it today as well too. His invitation is gracious. His forgiveness is abundant. His ways are exalted. His word is effective and His promises are positive. It's good to be reminded of these things as you go through the difficulties of life and troubled times. Isaiah speaks to our heart about these things. Trust God. Trust in Him. He knows what He's doing. Even though you're going through chaos, following His steps, because He's leading, leading the way. We need to follow closely. We're going to have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead us in the last few songs. And as they do, I just want to invite you that if you feel God tugging to, on you and saying, come, follow, come, all who are thirsty, I, I, I have this wonderful thing for you. It's called salvation. <laughs> it's called peace. And if you are going through times where you just are thirsting for that, God's not going to withhold it. He's going to give it. You have to want that and ask for it. So, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you today, have a little time of prayer with Him. Do it. Spend some time in prayer and asking God, 
please. I'm so thirsty for you. I'm so thirsty to have peace. Please, Lord, bring it to me. Help those golden moments in my life in the way where I can be aware of them and know that you're drawing close and I need to draw close to you as well. What is it that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about? Whatever that is, I trust that you'll respond in obedience what God is trying to speak to you. As we sing these songs, uh, just continue to be in a time of prayer and let the Holy Spirit lead you in that and speak to your heart.